According to the inscription, Psalm 122 was written by David. Most likely this psalm was written after David captured the city of Jerusalem and brought the tabernacle and the ark there. The inscription also tells us that it is a song of ascents, indicating that it was later sung by Jewish pilgrims on their way to Jerusalem to celebrate the feast. Psalm 122 is also a prophecy looking forward to the millennial kingdom when all people will go up to Jerusalem and assemble for worship. But for you and I, Psalm 122 teaches us about worship. And so we have entitled Psalm 122, The Delight of Worship. The Delight of Worship. As we work through these nine verses, we're going to first look at the call to worship in verses 1 and 2, the climax of worship in verses 3 and 5, and then the contribution to worship in verses 6 through 9. Let's begin with verses 1 and 2 and consider the call to worship. Verse 1, he says, I was glad when they said to me, Let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet are standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. David is delighted when he hears the call, Let us go into the house of the Lord. Now, the house of the Lord was strictly an Old Testament name for the tabernacle, and it was never really applied to the temple at all. Now, interestingly, in our current culture, we call the church the house of the Lord. And so that's typically where we consider the place that we go to worship. Though, certainly, we should be worshiping in our homes and wherever we may be, because worship is as much public as it is private. But the emphasis here is on going to the place of worship. And there's a call set out to come. Now, the invitation was likely from the priest. And David's response is that he is glad, he takes pleasure, and he exalts. And I have to ask and wonder, do we exalt, are we glad when the invitation to come and gather and worship uh, is heard? Is that our response? Or when it's time to worship is our response, oh no, not again. Maybe our response is, oh, um, it's a bother, I got things to do, I got that going on or this going on. Or is perhaps our response to the call of worship, wow, I'm excited to be with the people of God and to worship the Lord together. See, the joy of anticipation is only exceeded by the realization of worship. And verse 2 shows us that he has already arrived in the city when he recounts, our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. See, he has come for one reason, and that is to enter the house of the Lord. He didn't come for any other reason but to worship. And so, because that's his purpose, because that's why he has come, to worship God, he responds with joy to the call, and he is ready to move into the presence of God. Now, friends, it is the will of God that we worship him. And we ought to worship him both privately and publicly. And as well, we should stir up one another to worship God together. And when David says, let us go together, it's not only for God's honor, but it's also for our mutual edification and encouragement. So when it's time to worship, what is your response? When the call to worship goes out, what is your attitude? And it's something that all of us need to examine, and not just once and done, but every time worship comes around. Maybe one week, hey, man, we're excited. We can't wait. 
but maybe another week, all kinds of things have gone on happening. It's like, oh, I just can't, don't have time for that this week. We really need to examine our attitudes and our heart motives when it comes time to worship. Whether we're worshiping in private or whether we're worshiping in public, we need to make that time and we need to come with a right heart attitude. And the attitude is to be one of joy. Again, why? Not because of something I'm getting, but of what I'm giving. I'm giving to God worship. That was David's joy. Is that your joy? Do you have joy in worshiping God? Now, we come to verse 3 and 5, and we have the climax of worship. Jerusalem that is built as a city that is compact together, to which the tribes go up, even the tribes of the Lord, an ordinance for Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord, for their thrones were set for judgment, the thrones of the house of David. So where does David's joy come from? Where does he get this joy for worship? The answer is given here in verses 3 and 4. First of all, the psalmist admires the city itself. It's built compact together. That is, it's a walled city. It's well defended. It's protected. As Psalm 48 verse 12 says, I walked about Zion. I go all around her. I count her towers. I mark well her bulwarks. See, the city of Jerusalem was a city of power and strength. And it gave David joy. Why? Because that city was given to him by God. The, the fact that that city was defended was from God. And so when we have time to worship privately or publicly, and we want to know where our joy comes from, perhaps our joy comes from the fact that we have a time and a place to worship. In fact, we have a secure place or time to worship, whether that's in the privacy of our home or whether that's publicly in the church. We have a blessing that so many in other parts of the world don't have. The fact that we can worship. And we don't worship in fear. He goes on to say that Jerusalem is the focus of Israel's life. It's where the tribes go up. It's where the tribes of the Lord come. It's the place that provides for their unity. And when they come together, they're refreshed in worship. It's the place where the ordinance or law of God is taught. It's where they're reminded again that they're God's people. It's where they celebrate his mighty acts. And no wonder there's such joy. And you know, when we have that opportunity to come together and worship, the church becomes such a place that it should be known for its unity. It should be the focus of our life. Where we can come and hear the ordinance or law of God taught. Where we're reminded that we are God's people. Where we can celebrate God's mighty act. And notice the purpose of their coming in verse 4 was to give thanks to the name of the Lord. They come to worship Yahweh, to experience his presence, his power, to hear his word taught, but also to give forth praise to him. The psalmist experiences the joys of Jerusalem's power, delights in the presence of, the other, of other tribes, of other people coming together in worship. And, you know, when we consider what that means for us, how much greater is our joy? to know that as we gather, we're gathering as the redeemed of the Lord. 
You know, they gathered looking forward to redemption, but we gather looking back to the fact that we are redeemed. We come together in the presence of the Lord. We come together in our love for each other to worship Him and to receive His strength and His will, His direction for our lives. So the climax of worship should be, again, what have I given to God? Have I given Him praise? Have I humbled myself? Have I learned His law? Have I learned His ways? Have I heeded His direction? And finally, verses 6 through 9, the contribution to worship. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. May peace be within your walls and prosperity within your palaces. For the sake of my brothers and my friends, I will now say, my peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. See, because the, of Jerusalem was God's city, the psalmist exhorts us, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Now the word peace means security or well-being. And, a, and a, a double blessing flows from that. First, a blessing is pronounced on those who live in or long for Jerusalem. May they prosper. May they be secure. Those who love you. And then the city is blessed. Peace be within your walls. May prosperity or security be within your palaces or your courts. See, the psalmist places all of Jerusalem under the blessing of God. But he pronounces this blessing not only for himself, but for the sake of his friends and family, his neighbors, his brethren, who live with him or who are there in that city with him. And he sums it up here and gives this final simple blessing in verse 8, peace be within you. See, he recognized the fact that Jerusalem, for Jerusalem to be secure, it had to be under the security of God. You know, when we think about the culmination, or excuse me, our contribution to worship, our contribu contribution to worship should be praying for peace. Think about that. We should be praying for peace amongst brother and sisters in Christ. We should be praying for peace within our families. We should be praying for peace within our communities. We should be praying for peace within our country. We should be praying for peace wherever and for whatever. That is the number one contribution we can make is to pray for the peace of God. Why? Because where there is peace, there is freedom to worship. That's why David was praying for the peace of Jerusalem. That's why he exhorted us to pray for the peace of Jerusalem so that God's city, people could come and worship God in his city freely. I'm so, so disturbed by the lack of peace amongst Christians. Now, certainly I understand that and, and teach and believe firmly that we need to defend the faith. We need to defend biblical doctrine. But what disturbs me so greatly is the, the lack of peace, the lack of harmony amongst Christian believers isn't over the fact that Somebody's not holding to biblical orthodoxy, but because of differences of opinion, differences of personality, differences of likes, differences of desires, and, and, and there's this just all this friction 
amongst believers. And where there's friction, there is no peace. And where there is no peace, guess what? There is actually no worship. We're always looking to pick. We're always looking for something to pick at, some trouble to find. Listen, that could be what is inhibiting you from knowing the joy of worship. Certainly we have trouble in life, and certainly we should be seeking the peace. But remember this, the Bible commands us, if at all possible, be at peace with all men. In other words, believer, you should not be the one creating the source of contention. In fact, we're to strive to be at peace. So think about this. Is there somebody that you've got issue with? Listen, don't let that hinder your worship particularly the joy in your worship. And again, I'm sure if all of us sat down and examined, we'd all say, oh yeah, there's this individual, that individual, and, and that's the reality of a sin-cursed world. But make sure you're not the issue at stake. Make sure you're not the individual stirring the pot. Make sure you've done what you can do to seek peace. Now again, seeking peace doesn't mean I excuse sin. Seeking peace doesn't mean that you're supposed to be the, the rug somebody wipes their feet on. Seeking peace doesn't mean that you just lay down and play dead and you just ignore, you know, issues. But let's make sure that the issues are real biblical issues, not just our personal opinions, our personal taste or whatever. Make sure that if it's an issue, make sure it's something that would stand before the presence of a holy God or not something that he would simply look at and laugh or look at and be grieved by. So why should we pray for the peace of Jerusalem? Well, the verse 9 gives the answer. Because of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. Notice the psalmist did not pray for Jerusalem because it's a great city. He did not pray for Jerusalem because it's the center of political and military might. He did not pray for Jerusalem because the king dwelled there. He prayed because that's where God's house was. That's where the temple, or, or actually the tabernacle, was. And that's where God dwelled. And that's where God's people came to worship him. It's where the priests sacrificed to him to atone for the sins of the people. It's where they offered incense before his throne. Now, folks, today Jerusalem knows very little peace. You got Christian sects haggling over shrines. You've got Arab and Jews at each other's throats. And in light of that, I want to say three things. Number one. Jesus foretold the destruction of Jerusalem because they rejected their Messiah, Mark 13. And that destruction took place by General Titus of Rome in A.D. 70. And since that time, Jerusalem has known no peace, and the presence of God is but a distant memory. Second, all believers today are indwelt by God, by His Spirit. And according to 1 Corinthians 6, 19, we are today the temple of God. Today, God is living in us. We are being built up into a living temple in the Lord, Ephesians 2, 19 and 22. And so when we pray for peace, we certainly can be praying for the peace of Jerusalem. And I'll comment more on that in my third point here that I'm about to make. 
But understand this. If right now, believer, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, first and foremost, we need to be praying for the peace of what? Believers. For the peace of Christians. And if that means praying for our nation, if that means praying for other nations, if that means praying for our community, whatever it may mean so that we can gather in peace, that's what we need to be praying for. But instead, we're so quick that we, we want to be, you know, keyboard warriors or we want to be, you know, going after this person or that person. Stop. Just stop. And do something that is far greater than any of that. Pray. Pray for peace and step back and let God work now as I said number one Jesus foretold the destruction of Jerusalem we said number two all Christians today are indwelt by the spirit of God and are therefore the temple of God now number three when this age is complete new Jerusalem will be revealed when this age is complete we're going to come to the millennial kingdom and all the redeemed whether they're Jew or Gentile are going to come and they're going to come to Jerusalem. They're going to come to the temple. They're going to come to worship Christ and they're going to learn his ordinances. They're going to learn his law. And so when we are praying for the peace of Jerusalem, we're praying for that future millennial kingdom. Thy will be done. When we pray for the peace of Jerusalem, we're praying beyond that also to the fulfillment of that heavenly Jerusalem coming down out of heaven that will come down after the millennial kingdom and be established. That holy city where the worship of God will be. Revelation 21.2 That will be the ultimate fulfillment of the peace of Jerusalem. And so as we pray for peace today, we need to pray for peace for believers, for one another. We need to pray for peace for churches. We need to be praying as well for the peace of Jerusalem. Pray for the prosperity that will come when Christ returns and establishes his reign on this planet. Because remember, as Jesus himself said, I give you peace not like the world offers. Well, the world offers peace, but he gives a peace that's unlike anything they offer. His peace is eternal. It's everlasting. What a glorious day that will be. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, I thank you. For this challenge that we would delight in worship, Lord, I confess that there are times for myself, for all of us, I'm sure, when worship is more duty than delight. So, Father, I pray that you would help us to examine our reactions when the call to worship goes forth. That, Father, we would consider whether we are joyful or not, and if we're not joyful, why not? What's robbing our joy? That, Father, as we would consider not only our call, but the climax to worship, that we would examine that what gives us joy in worship and to make sure that those things are there. And if there's other things that are hindering, then Lord, we might remove those things or you might remove those hindrances. And then Father, at the end, we must consider what is our contribution to worship. And Father, there's much that we can contribute to worship, whether it's lifting our voice in praise, whether it's humbling our hearts in prayer, whether it's quieting our, ourselves and, and hearing from you through your word. But first and foremost, Lord, we are to pray for peace. And so, Father, even now we pray. We pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We pray for that glorious future day, Father, in which... 
Jerusalem will be a place of peace because you have returned and you have put down the evil one. You have destroyed the enemies and you have established your kingdom. We pray for your will to be done, not only in heaven, but someday on earth. But Father, we also pray for peace. We're to seek peace. We're to be at peace as much as possible. So Lord, let us not be the source of contention. Let us not be the source of trials and troubles for people. But Father, may we be a light in a dark world. A light that would draw moths. A light that would draw people to you. So Father, we pray for peace. Father, if there's some, anybody dealing with an issue, Lord, that has robbed them of their peace, I pray that you might resolve that for them. And that in restoring their peace, Father, in removing their fear, you might encourage them to once again know that joy of worship. We pray in your son's precious name. Amen.